Welcome to Wilderness Tracks, in which artists, scientists, writers and thinkers tell me about six pieces of music that connect them to the natural world. In this episode, produced in conjunction with the Kendall Mountain Festival, I'm meeting the remarkable Cal Major, whose record-breaking adventures on the back of her paddleboard have been driven by an ever-growing activism and her passionate desire to protect the health of our rivers, lakes and seas. You've chosen six tracks for us. Yes. I have to say, I've done a few of these Wilderness Tracks podcasts with various guests, <laughs> and my children have never been so thrilled really? uh, as with your list. They, uh, what they, does that say about me? Uh, it says you've got very good taste, to put according to them. They, were, they put the, every, each of them on, on a playlist oh. last night, and they, they danced through oh, each and every it. one of them. Well, that makes me feel really good, because I did the same, and I spent yeah, about 20 minutes just dancing, listening to these songs when I first decided them. It's so hard to choose six tracks um they're, they're very positive and it um not entirely but they've got a very positive energy about them hence the yeah. dancing yeah. and I, uh, I, I i'm struck by the extent of your positivity not not just you know as part of your personality but it's a, it seems to be very much a part of your kind of outlook and the way that you apply yourself to your activism how, how important is that need for positivity Oh, I'm really, yeah, it feels great that you've picked up on that because I feel like it's core to my activism. I think, you know, we all know that our planet's facing catastrophic crises if we don't do something about it. Um, but I think doom and gloom is just a turn off. It's not going to make change. It's not going to get people excited or engaged or involved. I think positivity and optimism are so essential for communicating to people about the natural world and, and how we can protect it. Um, and also for protecting ourselves from the psychological harm that can come from learning about the problems that our natural world faces. So for me, they are the absolute like, pivotal point of my campaigns. And certainly with the Paddle Against Plastic campaign, the kind of motto is um, positive engagement and, and bring positive solutions to the plastic pollution crisis. Um, so yeah, very, very important. And the paddle boarding, you, um, for those who don't know, you travelled via paddleboard from Land's End to John O'Groats a couple of years back. Is yes, that right? that's right, yeah, in 2018. Which was nearly a thousand miles over 59 days, is that right? Yes, correct, yeah. I'm kind of curious <laughs> to know which bits of you hurt the most when you're Ooh. doing that, because obviously the shoulders <laughs> and the arms are going to hurt, but I'm kind of thinking that's a recipe for just agony oh, all over agony. isn't it yeah the first i mean the first few weeks my shoulders were just in pieces and i had them i, I had like k-tape just strapping up my shoulders and um, my neck and my upper body and you kind of get used to it. you get used to both the movement that you're doing and also the agony and it just being a bit painful for months on end and not really sleeping because you're in, in a lot of discomfort um but i do feel like my body really adapted to that repetitive movement and over a period of time it became less painful but some days you know there'd be like a twinge in my ribs or other days it'd be my back and other days it'd be my shoulders I think my body like really did its work and swapped the uh, swapped the pain from one area to another to, to mean that I could manage <laughs> for two months um, but also I kind of adapted my technique you know if my shoulders were really painful one day I'd put my paddle make my paddle a bit smaller so that it, the most of the strain went into my back and then my back would start hurting so I'd make my paddle longer again and um, yeah it was uh, I, I don't know it's something you just you learn to live with a bit, a bit of discomfort. I don't think I'll. <laughs> um, we'll talk about it as we go on. But yeah. you, you mentioned the pain of choosing these six pieces of music. Yeah. How, how did you 
finally choose to go about it then? What's, what, what was your structure? What was oh, your plan? Well, I've, I've, I've deliberated over them for a long time because when you first contacted me about this, I thought, gosh, I'm not really, like, I'm not... A, like very musically knowledgeable like normally on a day to day my new music taste is so eclectic I listen from every, to everything from like metal to Taylor Swift and I was thinking how can I find six tracks that connect me to nature like I connect to nature by going outside and being in nature and then when I started looking into it so I, everything every time I've got a, an issue or something I need to sort out or something I need to um plan I get a big A2 piece of paper and I do a <laughs> mind map and so I had in the in the middle like music and nature and then just did loads of branches and um I had a section of music that makes me feel like pumped to protect nature and music that makes me think of nature. And, and then I kind of went through a chronological kind of journey of my, my path from, um, you know, playing around in the water to dedicating my life to protecting it and, and kind of looked at all the tracks that were really meaningful. And then that was the hard bit because I had about 15 tracks that right now I have yeah, to yeah, really yeah. whittle this down. So I came up with a, a bit of a story and the six tracks I've chosen, they actually tell a chronological story of, of my journey um, around activism and um, my own kind of um, connection to nature and how important it's been in those different parts of my life. Um, so hopefully it will kind of sing something to other people as well. Well, and even if it doesn't, they can dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> very danceable tunes. <laughs> uh, the first one then, do you want to introduce it? I would love to introduce it. So my first track, um, this is um, a song that everybody knows. It's uh, Bob Marley and Three Little Birds. Fantastic. Bob Marley and the Whalers oh, from so the good. Exodus album. Come on then, why? What, well, how what's... can that not cheer you up, first <laughs> of all? Like, if you talk about positivity, that is the ultimate positive song. So the reason I chose this is, um, so I, as you quietly said, I'm a vet. I went to vet school when I was 19. I'd spent a year in Australia learning to scuba dive. Had the best time of my life. And I'd never really felt a connection to the ocean like I did when I went to Australia. And it was that that was so pivotal in, in, in my life in terms of... Um, finding my own personal connection to the ocean and I was hooked absolutely hooked and throughout my time at uni five years at Edinburgh University all I wanted to do was like look after the fish basically and I remember asking so many of my lecturers how can I be a vet and look after fish um, and the you know the answer time and time again was oh you, you know you can be an aquaculture vet which I had just no interest in doing I really <laughs> did not want to go down that route um, so I kept an interest in scuba diving and in, in my water sports. I surfed loads and wakeboarded. And um, when I graduated uni, I decided that I was going to go and learn to be a dive master, scuba diving dive master. And um, a friend of mine and I, we basically we went to the Philippines um, for a couple of months and 
learnt to be dive masters and so for you know a month six weeks every day we were in the water three times a day scuba diving and we lived on this tiny little beach it was absolutely gorgeous and it's still my happy place if I'm ever feeling stressed or upset and I need to go to a happy place it's it's that little tiny hut that we lived in on this beach and it was above um, a reggae bar and they played Bob Marley like day in day out all night you know some nights till three in the morning and it, that song it just reminds me, it just transports me back to that beach, sitting on this beach where it was my home for six weeks where I really just solidified my love for the underwater world. And um, I, I don't think I've ever been as happy as that in my life. I think that was the happiest time I've ever, ever had. That time just every day, just in the water, under the water, um, with my mate. Like We were speaking every day about how we were going to you know, go about protecting this amazing place that we were spending every day. So I think that was a really pivotal time for me. Um, and after that, you know, I, I got my dive master qualification and my plan was to spend six months of the year being a vet, six months of the year um, scuba diving, which never really came to fruition. But um, it, was, uh, yeah, it was a really pivotal time in my life. And um, yeah, just really, like I say, solidified that, that love, for, love for the underwater world. And when you left, presumably, you were kind of full of... I mean, remorse for leaving this <laughs> paradise. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I really mourned leaving it, yeah. yeah. And then I moved to Wales, moved to South West Wales and became a farm vet, which was very, very different <laughs> to, to living on a beach above a reggae bar and listening to Bob Marley every day. <laughs> but were you, how, how torn were you then? Because mm. you, had this, you had these two potential life paths yeah. opening up before you. Yeah. And if you weren't able to kind of mix them together, yeah. you were going to have to leave one behind and they obviously meant a huge amount to each of them yeah so how how troublesome was that yeah I mean I think at the time I'd just graduated I felt like my life my whole life was in front of me I, you know what it's like when you're that age you feel invincible you feel like you can do anything you want and you've got all the time in the world and so for me I just I knew that one day I, my life would be about protecting the ocean. I just, I just knew that it would. But I also knew that at that point in time, just graduated from vet school, I'd spent you know, every minute of my studies desperately trying to pass my veterinary exams since I was seven years old, basically, when I decided I wanted to be a vet. Um, and so I kind of followed a, a really typical career path. I went into mixed animal practice in, in Wales. The majority of my work was farm work. Um, and then kind of defaulted into small animal practice um, and, yeah, it was, it, it was a real wrench not being able to be in the water every day. But at the same time, I had this other focus, which was that I needed to get a good basis in veterinary practice so that I could then, you know, spend six months of the year being a vet and six months of the year, you know, scuba diving or whatever. Um, and I think at that point in time, like I said, I just felt like time was stretching yeah, in yeah. front of me and I had all the time in the world to do what I wanted. So um, and always knew it would, it would be there. Yeah. And, and with the vet... The, the vet side of you. Your connection with animals, you know, we're yeah. going to talk a lot about um, the natural environment and the oceans yeah. and water particularly, but how, how important are animals and have they been to you through yeah. your life? Where did that come from? I think that's one of the main reasons that I'm an, environment, an environmentalist. I think the animals are what I'm trying to protect, what I'm trying to to preserve um so i've always loved animals and when i was seven my mum and my dad for christmas they they got me a couple of horse riding lessons and that was it i was hooked i just i loved horses so much um and i remember saying to them when i was a kid like i want to be a lady farmer because I, I just wanted to be around animals I just loved them so much and i think 
it's like anything, isn't it? You, you, you don't know what you love unless you experience it. And so at that point in time, I'd experienced horses. I loved horses and cows and sheep. You know, I worked on, on farms when I was at school in, in my summer and Easter holidays and loved that. And it was then experiencing the animals out in the ocean when I was scuba diving, the turtles and the fish and the sharks and dolphins and really experiencing them. When you get to know them, you can, you can form, a, form a love for them. And that's what's then kind of driven me to look more into the kind of... Um, conservation side of things when I was in my fourth year of uni I think I was lucky enough to go to South Africa and work with some wildlife vets out in South Africa and this idea of conserving wild animals was so powerful to me like that's that meant everything to me that meant more to me than treating individual pets um, and I think that's kind of why I've deviated a little bit from your traditional veterinary pathway of you know vaccinating pets or whatever or you know treating individual uh, domesticated animals um, more towards looking at the bigger picture and, and treating these animals in the wild that I've had the privilege of seeing and experiencing and, and being alongside. So you don't like pets is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely I have no <laughs> idea how much I'm petitioning to get a dog right now I, I absolutely love I lo anybody who knows me you'll know that I've got a, you know I've got a medical condition whereby if I don't touch a dog one today I, I, I'm basically like I'm useless I can't function like I love animals I love to domestic animals but for me I feel like I've got so much passion for protecting wild animals and that's where I need to be concentrating my efforts there are, there are some amazing amazing vets out there you know some of my colleagues are just phenomenal vets and small animal practitioners domestic animal um, vets and they're doing an amazing job I don't see my role in this world if you like as, as doing that solely I feel like I have so much needs to protect the animals out in the wild that that's where I need to focus my uh, my my energies, if that makes sense. It does, it does. <laughs> and good luck with the petitioning for the dog. Thanks, thanks very much. <laughs> if you could just tell my boyfriend, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's making films off all your adventures, so <laughs> yeah. you'll have to do some kind of trading off there. Well, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe not the lifestyle for a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get on to your second song. What's yes. your second pick? My second song is... Ah, OK, so... We've just, you know, I've, I've been a vet now for a year in, in South Wales and I basically, I, I defaulted into small animal practice. Um, always wanted to be a horse vet and started to go down that route, but it didn't really work out for me. And um, I defaulted into small animal practice. I got injured and basically couldn't handle the, the physical work at that point in time. And I moved to Plymouth in the, the south coast of Devon and um, I had, like just an entire new world open up to me a world of everybody there that I met were either surfers mountain bikers paddleboarders kite surfers windsurfers and all of a sudden I moved into this house a tiny house with three other boys and they were all like you know really into their water sports and I, I loved that kind of thing but I'd never really had the opportunity until then to really pursue the kind of water sport side of things and I was just plunged into this world of of having fun out on the water. I bought a camper van and basically for two or three years that I lived in Plymouth, my life was about um, travelling to where the surf was, going surfing every moment I possibly could. I was working four days a week, four really long days a week as a vet and every single second I wasn't in the practice, I was out, you know, exploring, adventuring, mountain biking, travelling to far-flung places to go surfing. My entire life was about having fun on the water. Um, and this next song, it... Um, I first um, heard this song when I watched a video of uh, it was uh, it was um, a mountain biking video I think and it just hit me and this song just 
for me, it's all about rebellion. It's all about, I'm no longer just a vet working and then, you know, eating and sleeping. I'm a vet, but my identity was so um, entwined in this outdoor lifestyle that I developed. And um, it was such a formative and it really, it really formed my identity those few years in Plymouth and um, learning how to explore the ocean by paddleboard. And this song for that just really encapsulates that time of my life. So um, this is um, Buffalo Springfields for what, it, uh, for what it's worth. <laughs> Brilliant. They forgot the name of the song then. <laughs> There's something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. That's just such a great song. It's so great, isn't it? Yeah. I just, could listen to it on repeat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No matter how many times you hear it. And what, I, what struck me listening to it again for this... It was actually, there's, it's quite a call to activism. Yeah, it is, And yeah. um, I, I don't think I'd really spotted that. You hear it so many times yeah. and you're just going to join in with the chorus. And, yeah, I uh, think it's a, it, it, it kind of has these connotations of social activism, doesn't it? Which is, as we know, you know, in 2020, of all the years, we've, we've realised how entwined social and environmental activism are. And I think it's such a powerful song. Like you say, when you listen to the lyrics, um, for me, it does, it really stirs something. It really kind of... Um, stirs a desire to move and to and, and to be an activist and, and to stand up for what I believe in and um, and also like I say it, it takes me back to that period of time when I just was having so much fun and really kind of um, solidifying my relationship with the natural world it was no longer this kind of um, you know it was no longer out there it was no longer mountains out there or the sea out there or mountain biking paths out there somewhere that was such a part of my life in that in that period of time and I was absolutely obsessed and I think having all that time and that fun and that kind of um, relationship building with with the natural world with with wild places with the ocean with um, mountain biking trails with um, yeah with, with the coastline that I was living there was so formative and uh, yeah that, that's 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 what makes anybody want to protect it, isn't it? Is is having a relationship with a place. And and in the film Vitamin C about your trip um, from London to John O'Groats, you talk yeah. very powerfully about that missing piece. You, yeah. you describe it that we're not going to actually try and protect anything until we meaningfully engage with it exactly. and learn to not just love it but experience it and yeah. realise we're a part of it. Absolutely, and that's so. So that's something that. Um, I really learned as I went through my campaigns was that, you know, I could go to somebody and say, you, you know, I could say to you, you shouldn't use plastic water bottles, but you could, you know, turn around and say to me, well, I've no idea what you're on about. Whereas yeah, if yeah. you've been to a beach and you've experienced plastic in the water there and, and also you have a connection with that beach because you surf there, you paddleboard there and you appreciate what it means to your well-being and how important a place it is for you, then you're going to understand that message more. And I think it really this idea that we have to form a connection with a place or, or, or connection with something before we can be expected to love it and protect it, um, I think that that massively changed the way I approach, approach campaigns. And it's certainly... We're skipping ahead a few years now, but that's 
absolutely pivotal to what, I, what I'm doing now and, you know, currently setting up a charity specifically to help people find a connection to the natural world so that they can have the mental health benefits, they can appreciate that relationship, what it means to them, and they're more likely to become stewards of that environment as a result. And, um, uh, yeah, it is, it's a mis- for me, it's a missing piece. And I, I know I'm getting very animated about this, but it honestly feels like such an... It's absolutely crucial. It's vital. We've got a massive swathe of the population who care about the environment mm. because they have experienced it, been privileged enough to experience it. And we have a massive swathe of the environment who've no understanding or appreciation that they're a part of that conversation too because for whatever reason, they don't, haven't had opportunities to experience it or, or, or to create meaningful connections. Um, and oftentimes there's... Um, I don't know, it's, it's just, it just feels so obvious. You know, you hear stats like one in five kids has never been to the beach in the UK, an island nation, and, and yet we wonder why our seas aren't adequately protected. It's because we don't have enough people who connect to nature and, and, and care about it enough to stand up for it. And isn't this the point in your life where you... Um, start hooking up with Surface Against Sewage as well? Yes, so yes, so back down to Plymouth. Yeah, yeah, that's when I first started volunteering with Surface Against Sewage and um, again, that was really pivotal for me. And the next song that we're going to hear, so um, I'm just going to introduce the next song if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell a little bit about it. So there's a band called Cat Empire. Yeah, I'd never heard of Cat Empire. You've never heard of Cat Empire? (laughs) Oh, where have you been? I know. They are amazing. So Cat Empire... Back in those, you know, halcyon days of Plymouth when I was just living my best life, you know, I, I was such a party animal and I'd go and stay away in my van at the beach and there's amazing bars. I just say, you're making a lot of people very sick here. You're like, oh, God, this perfect life, you know, oh, yeah, with the camper van and the parties and the fantastic. beach. It was fantastic, but that was before, you know, that, those were days when I could, you know, have a skin full and not have a hangover the next day. Now I can't even handle one beer, so I'm looking back on these with rose-tinted spectacles. But um, there's this amazing bar on the beach in... Um, um, Perrinporth called the Watering Hole, and they used to have loads of live music on there. Um, and you know, I used to basically spend every weekend going and listening to, to bands playing on beaches, and yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And one of the bands, it wasn't at Perrinporth, it was a Fistral Beach in Newquay, it was called Cat Empire. And I had the privilege of seeing them live, and they're, they're a ska band, and they're very high energy. And the first few albums that I got to know were, were really like really pumped, really. Um, you know, you could have a few beers and dance to your heart's content. It was amazing. Yeah. And those are the fun days. And this next song that I've chosen is from one of their later albums. And I feel like the, my journey with Cat Empire, they, they kind of mirrored each other. And I don't know what the time frame was for Cat Empire, but certainly when I discovered this new album, it was almost like Cat Empire matured and I kind of matured at the same time. And there's one song on this there are two songs on this album and I had to choose between them okay. the other song that I didn't choose which I really implore everybody everybody listening to go and listen to because it's brilliant it's called Wild Animals and it's on the album Steal the Light by Cat Empire and one of the um, one of the um, verses it basically says um, look out the tiny window frame um, that sits behind your desk um, with your big computer screen and your jars of fountain pens. Yeah. What are you doing in this prison with your psychopathic boss and your broken-hearted mornings and your backstabbing friends? You were born free. That is basically the gist of this song, and it's amazing. And there's so many, so many tracks on this album which... Um, they allude to our needs to be wild, our need to be connected to the natural world. And this song that, that I've chosen called Steal, um, Steal the Light... Um, 
one of the first lyrics is um, she's wearing flowers, not snakes, up in her hair tonight. And it just feels like it was a real kind of almost resignation to, to my cause, almost, um, yeah, resignation to, to my path. That my path was no longer about having a jolly on a beach. Like, I'd formed that connection. And now I was seeing plastic on the beaches. I was seeing the destruction of habitats that were places that I played, places where I was seeing dolphins and seals that I loved. And it was almost like, right, well, I've got to do something about it. And, and this song, for me, the kind of, the feel of it really in, encapsulates that feeling. Well, I've chosen the right bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's have a listen. Excellent stuff. So is this when you set up Paddle Against Plastic? Yes. Is that the right? Yes, exactly. So, um, yep, I decided that um, partying wasn't as important as Paddling Against Plastic. Um, and I basically, I, I couldn't stand seeing all this plastic on the beaches and not do anything about it. So, like we were talking about before, I wanted to bring a positive message to this issue because there was so much negativity in the media, so much doom and gloom. Um, and so I basically, I was quite naive still at this point in time in terms of my paddleboarding experience, but basically just decided I was going to paddleboard around the whole of the Cornish coast, which is about 300 miles. Um, I'd never really paddled more than 10 miles before, um, but I was like, how hard can it be? It's Cornwall in the summertime, and so it'll be, you know, nice flat calm seas, mirror flat calm seas, and I was going to get a six-pack and a tan and paddle with dolphins, and um, in reality, as you can imagine, <laughs> Cornwall in the summer isn't always like that, <laughs> and I was very, very quickly thrown into this world of six-foot waves and, you know, gale force winds and fog and you know my, my life was in danger on several occasions and it was absolutely amazing to actually be doing something to, to rather than be looking at this stuff and thinking oh this is horrendous just to be out there on my board yeah, and talking yeah. to people at beaches and 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 felt like I was making a difference um to this issue even if it was just um you know odd people here and there who'd pay attention to this message it, it felt really important to me to actually be out there talking to people about it um so yep yeah, so I, I paddled around Cornwall and then um the following year paddled around the Isle of Skye in Scotland which was and just... became the first woman to do that I... yes it was just the most uh, amazing couple of weeks so for two weeks I was completely alone I didn't know anybody on the island didn't have any phone signal and and um you know I was talking about creating this relationship with the natural world through m my adventures and my um hobbies and then I'd, but I'd never really switched off, never really spent time there switched off. And, and this expedition allowed for that. So for two weeks, just me in Scotland, basically. Yeah. And um, it, everything, all the busyness of, the natural, of, the, of our society just kind of quietened down. And I just felt so immersed in that environment and even more passionate about our needs to keep it wild. Like that wildness really almost reached into my soul and, and touched me so deeply. And when I came back to 
normal life, shall we say, after that expedition, after two weeks of that complete immersion, I found it really hard to readjust because I think I'd had that experience of how we are meant, how we've, how we've adapted to be humans, basically, and then all of a sudden thrown back into this busy society where my brain hasn't had enough millennia to develop to the busyness of what we're dealing with and the, the noise of cars and, you know, the instant gratification of emails and all that kind of thing. And um, so, you know, we, we talk about, I, you know, I talk a lot about my lands in the Strana Goats expedition as the biggest expedition I did, but actually I'd say that, that Isle of Sky trip was, the, for me, the most powerful, powerful trip I've, I've, I've done in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting few years, just absolutely determined to talk to people about this issue of plastic and what we can do to, to, to help alleviate the issue. And you, you do, obviously, the campaign is explicitly about plastic and that is your yeah. primary focus. Yeah. Um, but again and again, um, when I read your stuff or see you speaking, you mention mental health. Yeah. And it's, it seems to be absolutely yeah. ingrained in everything you do as well and yeah. it's just just as important almost in a way yeah. if perhaps not yeah. front and center to what you do how, so how you, and you mentioned the, the difficulty readjusting yeah you know how did that element of of your life or that or your activism kind of yeah. come into play yeah um and that was, I think, this kind of connection between my environmental activism and my mental health um, advocacy was very surprising for me as well, very unexpected. So when I paddled around Sky, okay, the, the, even the term mental health wasn't really in my vocabulary. Um, I'd heard about mental illnesses, um, heard about depression. It was a world away from me. It was something I didn't know really anything about. And if... And that was only three years ago. If now I went back and paddled around the Isle of Skye, I could more articulately say, this is phenomenally important for my mental health. Yeah. My mental health is benefiting here from being in the wild and I feel much calmer and my, you know, mentally well from having spent time here. But at that point in time, all I knew was I felt great. It felt great being there. And I think this is a distinction that I've been able to make in the last few years is that we all have mental health. We don't necessarily all have mental illness, but... We do all have mental health that we can protect and, and look after. And that's what was happening there. I was nurturing my mental health without realising it. Um, I think my kind of appreciation of the importance of mental health came um, not long after I'd finished um, paddling around the Isle of Skye. And one of my very, very closest friends in the world, she called me um, in tears and told me that she was really, really struggling and that she'd been admitted to hospital um, with suicidal thoughts. And at that point in time, I, I, I was like, I don't understand, like, I understand people feeling um, down and depressed. For me, suicidal thoughts was just that. It was, it was thoughts of suicide, but I couldn't imagine anybody ever going beyond that. Like, why on earth would you want to leave this world? Like, this world where you can go surfing and mountain biking and, you know, I, I just could not get my head around it. So in, in, and in talking to her, once you... You know, when, when you were on the phone and yeah. speaking with her, did you, did you feel at sea almost? Did you feel ill-equipped to kind of deal with yeah. that whole yeah. conversation, that terrain? Massively, massively. And, and my response to that was, first of all, I was like, well, I'll, I'll come up and I'll look after you. And I couldn't because she was in hospital and she needed to be in hospital. But my, my second response was, OK, well, so 
at this point in time, I lived in North Devon and I had this beautiful little house a mile from the sea, but 180 degree sea views. It, tiny little place, but it was my beach house. And that place gave me so much um, nourishment and so much peace. And, so, and I knew that my friend, she's called Sarah, I knew that the happiest I'd ever seen her was when she was in Sri Lanka at the sea every day. And she spent every day in the sea, by the water. And she talked a little bit more eloquently and a little bit more intelligently about mental health than I was able to at that point in time. And I knew that's where she was happy. So I was like, right, well, when you get out of hospital, come to mine, come to Devon. You can live here for as long as you want. You know, we, we can do, do anything. We can do nothing. You can sit in your pants if you want to, like do what you want, but come and live by the sea. Because I just thought like, obviously, if you live by the sea, if you come and live by the sea with me, everything's going to be fine without that real appreciation of how deep rooted depression and mental illness can be. And what I didn't realize at the time was that Sarah was actually severely mental Ill, mentally ill. And a few weeks later, I had a phone call from a very um, good friend of mine, mutual friend, um, to say that Sarah had taken her life. And that, for me, was... It was so... It was such a wake-up. It's like, there's somebody I know who is... Like, she was... Um, she, she was so... She meant so much to me and her support of my expeditions, like she believed in me every step of the way. And those few years when I was practicing as a vet, my God, they were so hard. And as well as, you know, my fun times and my surfing and everything being what kept me going and nourished me and was good for my mental health without me realizing that's how to articulate it, she was as well. She was my support network. And so to lose her to suicide, which to me was like, what the hell? Like people actually, you know, someone I know has committed suicide was. Um, it really, really shook me to the core. And um, I went through such a deep grieving process because not only was I in shock, but she was, she was, my, she was my everything. Like, she was my, my closest friend and my support network. And all of a sudden, she was gone. And I felt everything from guilt to anger to complete and utter just confusion. Like, why has she done this? And um, at that time, I was planning I was like just starting to seed the, the sow the seeds for a trip from Land Centre John O'Groats and actually I, I re, you know I was struggling to decide like do I do I still do this do I not do it and because she'd been so supportive of my previous trips I was like well I have to do it for her um, and so I did it in her honour and also raising money for charities that she was very passionate about Samaritans so, Samaritans and vet life yeah um, so vets um, are four times more likely than the national average to commit suicide. It's an incredibly stressful profession. Um, and she was trustee and very proud to be trustee of this charity which supports the mental health of veteran professionals. And um, so I was like, right, well, I'm going to do it for her. And in the months leading up to this expedition, I, you know, I was, I was really, really unwell with grief. And I kept talking to my friend and the place I felt most connected to was at the beach. Like I'd walked down to the beach and, you know, I could... I, I couldn't stop thinking about her the whole time but when I was at the sea I could actually have a conversation with her I remember time after time like just sitting on this pebble ridge by the beach at Westwood Ho where I lived and just looking up to the sky and talking to her and it felt as close to her as I'd ever be again and um, and so I, I mean we're skipping forward a bit with the Lands and John O'Groats expedition but when I actually embarked on that expedition 
one of the things I was most worried about was this grieving process and whether I was well enough to paddle. But actually one of the most miraculous things of it was how it healed me. So bearing in mind that the sea was where I felt closest to Sarah when I was paddling, that two months of being out in the ocean gave me the time that I needed to actually process what was going on. So I spoke to her nearly every day. Um, I shouted at her some days. I was angry at her. I cried. I asked her for support, like every range of emotion. Being on the water, I felt like I had that space, physical space, because there's a horizon around me, but also the mental space away from all the rubbish we go through in our daily lives. It's so relevant to actually process what she meant to me and how to deal with that grief um and so the next song that we've got um if it's right for me to introduce is, absolutely um, yeah. it's the temptations my girl and it's um there'd be days when i was on the water when um it the going got really tough but both emotionally and also through sheer exhaustion from the expedition it, there'd be days when it was just gray and horrible and miserable and i'd be battling against a side wind and i was really in a bad way and, I, and normally i could draw sarah to me and, and harness that kind of love that we had for each other but some days i need a little bit more and this song just brought me to her and the first uh, the first couple of lines of the song are um uh oh gosh got um, sunshine on a cloudy day um, when it's cold outside um, I've got the month of May and that's what it felt when I was on the water in just all worlds of either physical pain or emotional pain it's like well I've got sunshine on a cloudy day and that's my Sarah even though she wasn't with me physically that was her so this song's really um, yeah really a really powerful powerful song for me Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, do you still talk to her? Yes, I do. Not as often as I used to. And I think I've really processed a lot of those feelings, but I still do. Especially if I've got... It sounds a bit daft, but if I ever used to have a big decision to make, she'd be the first person I'd call. Um, and so now sometimes, um, if I've got a big decision to make, and I'm really stuck with it, about what would Sarah, what would Sarah say? Um, or another, another time I speak to her a lot is... Um, I suffer a lot of self-doubt, and we all do, don't we? Um, self-deprecation, self-doubt. And um, I've got an amazing coach called Penny who's just been instrumental in, in helping me kind of navigate my, my career path, my life. And she often, you know, if I'm struggling with something, she'll often say to me, what would Sarah... Like, you, you know, if, if I'm being really hard, I'm sure, what would Sarah say to you? When, you? when you're there saying you're worthless or whatever, you're, you, you're no good, what, what would Sarah say about that? And I think, do you know what? She's my biggest cheerleader. She'd tell me to you know stop being so unkind to myself and um yeah just um yeah be, be kind be kind to myself that was one of her her sort of most powerful messages was this act of being kind to yourself and um that's been really pivotal in um in kind of yeah creating the narrative for myself but also around my campaigns and we're talking you sort of 
picked up on before about how the mental health aspect of stuff has, been, has become as important to me as the environmental side of things. And I think that is through my understanding. So when I was paddling from Lanzan to John O'Groats, I met lots of people who had had mental illness or really understood their own mental health. And a big part of their connection to the ocean was the appreciation of what it meant to them to be there. And this was forming for me as well. Like my appreciation of the, the necessity being on the ocean had for my grief process. And it made me realise that if we can appreciate that we have mental health and that time on the water is beneficial for that, and that's what helps us to create those really meaningful connections with the water, then that's going to make us want to protect it as well. And so for me, the two aren't mutually exclusive. We've got understanding of our mental health and the importance of being in nature to protect it and that creating the love for the environment and then as wanting to protect the environment. And it's all intertwined, I think. It's all but do you think similarly as a parallel that to some extent... We have to go through really quite awful experiences, not necessarily mm. as awful as, as, as the one you've been through with your friend. But in order to connect with nature, we need to have a meaningful relationship with it. We have to get up, up close with it. And yeah. with our mental health, yeah. we have to, I guess, have that shake and have our vulner vulnerability exposed to us through ourselves or our friends or family or loved ones before we can really value it and start to, to nurture it and uh, look after it? I think so. I think, in a way, yes. And I think in terms of creating a real understanding of our mental health, yes, that can be a, a catalyst for it. But I do also think that there are a lot of people who maybe, again, like I was when I was 25 or whatever, you know, in my camper van surfing every weekend... I wasn't doing that specifically because it benefited my mental health. Unlike now, when if I'm feeling yeah. down or, you know, I know I need to go for a cold water swim once a week or the, to specifically for my mental health. Back then, I was doing all that stuff because my job was really, really bloody stressful and I knew that at the end of the week I needed to go surfing to feel OK. And that was, that was looking after my mental health without any real, realisation that that's what I was doing. And um, I think one of the reasons that, um, like, over the years that when I have struggled with my mental health was when that hasn't been the priority for me. So I think, yes, I think, I think both. I think, you know, we can have that catalyst where all of a sudden we're much more aware of it, but also a lot of people are doing it without realising it, and, and that, I think that's OK too. That's, yeah. um, what would your friend say... Sorry, what was her name? Sarah. What would Sarah say were your greatest strengths? Oh, gosh. Um, I think she'd... The one that I'm, I'd be most proud of, I think she'd say that I am very kind. And I think I'd channel, channel her into that as well. Um, there's an amazing phrase, you know, everybody's fighting a battle that you know nothing about, be kind always. And I think one of... Something I feel very proud of and I think she would feel proud of me for is that I am empathetic towards other people. And, you know, if someone's being an arse it might not be that they're a nasty person they might have something awful going on and I think being kind like being kind to people regardless of the situation is it's powerful and it's important and um and even if they are an arse even if they, they are an arse <laughs> you know what's the point in bringing more hostility into the world like, the world needs kindness more than anything <laughs> okay so we've got kindness. <laughs> kindness give us one other strength um oh I'm a I'm a good good friend um, I, I care about my mates and um, I like to make my friends laugh. <laughs> but, but it's really interesting to me that, you know, 
because the kind of obvious strengths you've got are the fact that you can bloody paddle up from Land's End to John O'Groats. Physically, you're clearly very uh, strong, but also you've got all those kind of mental resources to draw on. You've got determination. And the, but the fact that you're kind of picking out <laughs> kindness and, you know, the, a love of your friends is quite beautiful, I think. But why did I do that trip? It's because I cared about the sea. It's, it's... Anybody can do... like. Anybody can do something outside of their comfort zone if they've got a reason to do it. You know, if I was pushed along on that journey because I cared so much about the environment I was in, and maybe that's a form of kindness, it's a form of empathy towards the natural world, and that's what drove... Like, I was desperately sad at the state of what we're doing to our planet, and I desperately wanted other people to care, and so that's what, that's what made me do it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Wonder Woman, I'm... You know, I get injured. I, I wasn't very good at training for this trip. I was naive. I got into trouble at times. I was in agony a lot of the time. I was exhausted. And if you ask James, my boyfriend, who was there with me for some of it, he'll tell you I was quite frankly a little bit grumpy for parts of it. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it was driven by something so much more than a desire to say that I could paddleboard from London to John O'Groats. I wasn't trying to prove that I was strong. It was, it was something much deeper than that. And I think it's amazing what we can learn about our physical strength and all these kind of attributes that are so important in society like strength and mm. mental resilience but actually if you've got a reason to be that then anybody can do that i'm not saying anybody could necessarily paddle land and john O'Groats, but there are people who maybe you want to cycle around the world i couldn't cycle around the world but if you're driven by something that means that it's that means that much to you then then any you know you can do that do you know what i mean it's i do it, know what you mean i i think with all that motivation in the world i still couldn't paddle to <laughs> London. <laughs> Unless I had the, the next song in my back pocket. Yes. Uh, back pocket, even. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, introduce this next one. Again, <laughs> my, my girls were so excited about this because I didn't realise this, but Lin Manuel Miranda from Hamilton fame wrote this, which is, was news to me. Anyway, carry to me as well. Yeah. Um, so, the next song was something that if the going got really tough, uh, we're talking really tough, this is the one that would always pull me out of the depths. Now, um, I hope nobody loses all <laughs> complete respect for me for Not having at all. a Disney Not at all, this is a brilliant song, song by any measure. <laughs> this is from the Disney, the Disney movie Moana. My, apart from Ali G in the house, my favourite... Now you've <laughs> lost respect. <laughs> my favourite <laughs> film in the whole world. I love this film. Um, it, it, it's about a girl. If you've not seen it, go and watch it, Moana. Um, it's about a girl who doesn't understand her place in the world and yet she knows she's drawn to the water and she knows she needs to do something to look after the natural world. Um, and um, there's another song on the album called I Am Moana where she screams, I am Moana! And there have been many times on my paddleboard where I've had that one as well. And I'll be in the middle of this like horrible, like messy ocean with waves everywhere and I'm knackered and I'm like, no, I am Moana! <laughs> um, but this song is called How Far I'll Go and this was a real motivation for me because it brought me back to that movie and all the motivations behind that. And it's such a beautiful pure film and I think it kind of really cut through all of the negativity that I might be feeling or all the kind of nonsense around what was going on and really just brought me back to why am I doing this I, it's because I love the sea I love the animals in it and I believe it's worthy of protection and this would keep me paddling in the hard times so this is um, how far I'll go <laughs> I've been Staring at the edge of the water Long as I can remember Never really knowing why I wish 
I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water, no matter how hard I try. Every turn I take, every trail I track, every path I make, every road leads back to the place I know where I cannot go, where I long to be. See the line where the sky needs to see, it calls me, and no one knows. How far I'll go. How can I not make you smile? I know, I know. <laughs> um, it is a brilliant song. Uh, there's a... The, the, the film Vitamin C, which charts your journey, is, is extraordinary. It's beautifully shot by your boyfriend, I should say, as well. Some, yeah. gorgeous, some gorgeous photography there and um, cinematography. But... Um, there's, and, and it does show how difficult it is at times for you, but there's, a, there's an extraordinary bit at the end of the film where you're just about to finish. And you're obviously emotional. Um, of course you are. And anybody would be in that situation. But you say something that really struck me um, about how you, you're really torn. You, wanted to, you just wanted to stay out there. Mm, and yeah. you wanted it to heal you and to wow you, mm. uh, to continue to do that. And, and I just wondered, when you did reach land, yeah. you know, how... How hard did that yeah. was that process for you? Yeah, it was really, really tough. So, um, yes, when by the time I was getting to, towards finishing, that last week had been hellish. The tides had meant that I was on the water 1 a.m., then the next day 2 a.m., then the next day 3 a.m. for a week, just really, really early morning tides. And I was, you know what it's like, you're at the end of something big and your adrenaline drops, and I was absolutely exhausted. And I just needed to stop. I really did. I think because I'd put that end on it, like I'm nearly at the end. And to, at the same time, paddling towards John O'Groats Harbour, all I could think was, this is my place. This is where I want to be. And I think because I'd had that journey with grief and because it had helped so much with that, and I'd, I'd felt so privileged to have been able to see the things I'd seen, I just didn't want to stop. Um, and when I finished, I mean, the first couple of days, I was just, as you can imagine, just an emotional mess. And I'd wake up at, like, three in the morning, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, I've missed my alarm, I've missed the tide, I'm going to lose it. And I, I, for about four nights, I had this recurring dream that I had ten miles left to go, and I hadn't finished, and I was just being lazy and sleeping it instead. Um, but, um, you know, kind of stayed up at John O'Groats for a couple of days. I was like, I can't leave. I, I had to stay still for a couple of days up at John O'Groats. And then James, bless him, had to, my, my partner who was with me at the time um, at John O'Groats, he had to go to Land's End to do a job at Land's End. So he drove from John O'Groats to Land's End in, I think, two days, what wow. it had taken me two months to paddle. And I just went home to my house in Devon. And um, the next few months were... I'd say, in fact, the next couple of years were the hardest journey I've ever, I've ever had to go through. Like, harder than that two months on the water, without wow. a doubt. Um, I had a, an, an enormous crash. I was exhausted. Um, and I basically very quickly slipped into a very deep depression. And we were talking earlier about my, my kind of journey with understanding mental health. This is the first time in my life I'd, I'd suffered with depression. And 
it was the first time I was able to forgive Sarah because I could finally understand why she did what she did. Not saying that what I was feeling was the same as what she was feeling, but finally I could get my head around why she decided that it was too painful to stay on this planet. Because up until then, you know, I'd be having the most, uh, you know, I'd have an amazing day on the water and I'd be thinking, Sarah, you've left this. Like, you've, like, how could you leave this beautiful ocean? Like, you never, and I'd be so upset that she would never get this experience of being on the water ever again. And yet there I was now, like, in, in such a hole that the idea of going to the water, like, I, I didn't want to be alive and I was so terrified and I thought I was dying and um, it was, the like, the hardest, hardest thing to come to terms with that I was depressed because I'd always been so positive, I'd always been the life and soul of the party, I'd always been so capable and independent and there I was, unable to get out of bed without James physically getting me out of bed. Um, I couldn't surf because if I didn't catch a wave, I'd beat myself up so bad that it was you know I just end up in tears like it was it was awful um and it took me a good couple of years I'd say only really this year uh, maybe the last six months only really have I actually felt like myself again and it was as long as much as it was the hardest journey I've ever been through I must say that I'm I feel very grateful to have gone through it because I feel now like I can move forward with my campaigns with the ability to relate to People on some level, everyone's mental health journey is different. I'm not suggesting that what I went through is the same as anybody else, but I can at least have a slightly higher degree of empathy for that. And also it is informing the charity that we're setting up. And, and, I, I, and that kind of, like, during those really dark months and, and years, the only, only, only glimpses of pleasure that I had were the really, really fleeting moments of when I was out in the water, out by the water, or in nature. Like, I got no pleasure from anything else. Like, I'd eat three slices of cake a day to try and get some kind of pleasure mm. from something. I was grasping onto something. The only times I felt real pleasure was when I was outside in the water. And that's when I started cold water swimming. So um, it gave me such a buzz. It was the only time I laughed for, you know, months on end. It was when I was immersed in, you know, five-degree water in, in the Northern Lake District in February or whatever. And... Um, I think I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have come through the side and hopefully be able to kind of help other people understand that there is a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel for them as well and, and to maybe kind of transfer some of the things that help for me, help for me too. You say you kind of return to yourself, to your yeah. normal self. Yeah. Just wondering how separate those things are. Have you incorporated some of what you've learned into yeah. yourself? Is, is that new Cal Major yeah. a rather different person? completely different car major so I spent a lot of time looking back to the old me the old me that would drive around in my camper van going to gigs on beaches and you know that that feels like a lifetime away and and I won't ever be that person anymore I can't drink for a start like I'll ne I don't drink now because one pint and I'm depressed the next day and it's so terrifying to even feel a little bit depressed having been in such a deep hole as I was to feel even the slightest inclination that you're slipping back down that slope again I won't put myself through it so I don't drink anymore God, I sound really like I have a really kind of a huge change but um you know, I'm really conscious of what I eat because I know that certain foods make me feel depressed. And I think the biggest part of this whole journey is that now I prioritise over everything else, time outside. So for me, every day I have to go outside and I have to exercise. Um, 
and maybe this is because I am still healing. Maybe I'm not as resilient as I used to be. And But I know how important this is now. So every morning, the first thing I do when I get up, put the kettle on. It, it's a routine now, and it, I don't even have to think about it. I get up, put the kettle on, make a flask of green tea, put a dry robe on so that it doesn't matter what the weather is, even if it's absolutely bucketing it down, it's not an excuse because I've got all my waterproofs on. Put my walking boots on and I walk to the lake. And I go down to the lake with my cup of tea and I, don't, I either don't take my phone with me or I put it on silent in my pocket. And um, I walk to the lake the same route every day so I don't even have to think about it. And I go and I watch the birds. And it sounds so simple, but that, that, those mornings, I go and I see my robin and he's there every morning. He's fat and he's fluffy and he's so cute. <laughs> and it brings so much joy. And I see the blue, the blue tits and the great tits. And I never used to care about these things, but now I get to see these little birds and they mean everything to me. And I, and I listen to the geese, the pink-footed geese, as they fly across the lake. And I sit and I watch the lake. And I say the lake because... This is where my boyfriend lives in, in Keswick, where I spend a lot of time now. I'm either there or I'm at my house in North Devon. And if it's in North Devon, it's the equivalent, but I go to the ocean, I walk to the sea, and I do the same. I look at the birds and I, I watch the waves. And for an hour every morning when I get up, I'm so focused on what's going on in front of me. And it, it's mindfulness, isn't it? It's an equivalent of a meditation. It but is. it's in nature. And we're running out of time. Yeah. So we have to, another thing that does bring you joy, yeah. that is deeply connected, I think, with your... Yeah connection with the natural world yeah. is the final song the final uh, song so yeah very briefly because i know we're out of time but um the final song is um it's called young blood and i'd listened to this a lot when i was when i was not feeling great and it brings me it, it makes me feel wild again when i was ca i was caged basically in in depression i was completely confined by it and for me, this song is an expression of freedom and it's of being able to just escape our boundaries, escape that cage of depression, escape our societal expectations and just be free. And there's a line in it, um, start your life in the middle of the jungle. I just think that's so beautiful. Like wherever you are now, like draw a line in the sand, like start your life in the middle of the jungle, like immerse yourself into the wild. How powerful is that for so many people? And um, so, yeah, this, this song, it, it really kind of, yeah, brings me lots of, um, brings me lots of joy. Brilliant. That's been fabulous. Cal, thank you so much for sharing your wilderness tracks. Thank um, you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Wilderness Tracks is produced by me, Jeff Bird, as part of the Timber Festival. If you enjoyed this episode, there are more to enjoy wherever you get your podcasts. Please do like and subscribe. The series is made in association with the National Forest, where timber takes place each July.